I want to I want to tell you a fairy tale actually, okay? And I want you to think, I'll sit back and relax and I'm going to tell you this. Once upon a time in a land far away, it's mixing films. There was a young man and a young woman who both gave their lives to Christ. And from that moment on, they never had a difficult day again. Everything they wanted, they got. God answered every prayer in exactly the way they wanted. They never had any trouble or every, any difficulty. And they both lived happily ever. How do you believe that could be true? You see, the thing is, the fairy tale where everyone lives happily ever after and all that kind of stuff, actually, we know, isn't reality. And sometimes when we come to our Christian faith, and I'm aware this morning that not everybody here, you may not say that you're a Christian, perhaps you're exploring, perhaps you're journeying, perhaps you're just dragged here by somebody, I don't know. But if you do commit your life to Christ and say you're a Christian, actually, if you've been a Christian any amount of time, you know that that is a fairy tale. You know that the idea that being a Christian means that everything will work out fine, that you'll never get any difficulty, that you'll never doubt again, that every prayer you ever pray will be answered in the way you want it to be, you know as well as I do, that's not reality. And actually Jesus, and we shouldn't be disillusioned with Jesus because Jesus made it really clear. He said, do you know what? In this world, if you follow me, you will have trouble. You won't have to find it, it will find you. You want to do anything significant for God and you'll find it even more. It will seek you out. And in the book of Timothy, 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Paul writes this, In fact, everyone, not just some, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. So, who wants to live a godly life for Christ? It's not a great marketing strategy, is it? To be honest, Paul, if you want to live a godly life, good, you will be persecuted. Mm, Not sure. Not a great marketing strategy, but the truth. If you want to build anything for God, whether it's a life, whether it's a family, whether it's a job or a business, whether it's a a project or a cause, whether it's a church, whatever you want to build, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face trouble. You're going to face difficulty. The fairy tale is not real. And what I want to do this morning is that many of you know that we're in this season as a church calling it History Makers. On November the 15th, we're having our gift and pledge day for the third place, which is our building project. And that's a huge initiative for us as a church. And we've been in this for years, okay? Not, not something we dreamt of over the summer. We've been in this for years. And God has brought us to this place right now where we're asking the church, asking you guys to sacrifice financially and in other ways for the sake of the vision that we believe God has given us. And to help us and to ground us in the word, we're looking at the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you've got a Bible, would you turn to Nehemiah with me, please? And while you're finding that, I'll give you a recap. These guys, Ezra and Nehemiah, were contemporaries uh, around the same time. They both were in exile. They came back to Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem had been in um, a state of disrepair for many, many years. The temple was destroyed. The city gates were destroyed. The walls were destroyed. Ezra the priest... His main role was trying to get the guys back on, the nation back on track spiritually and rebuilding the temple. Nehemiah, a politician, a civil servant, he wanted to see the society transformed. His main focus was the walls and the gates of the city. I want to contend that both of those things are crucial for us in these days. That spiritually we're connected rightly to God, the place of the altar and the temple is correct, and that we see our society transformed. 
And we're not going to get hung up on who did what when, because that's difficult, all right? It's the principles that we're looking at. And in the last kind of few weeks, we've looked at how that all started. And then we looked at how the altar was repaired and the temple started to be built and the walls started to be built. But then during the building, they faced opposition. They faced opposition. And we're going to look at Nehemiah's opposition. It was similar to Ezra's, but we can look at Nehemiah's in chapter 4. And there's a few characters introduced that I just want to explain who they are. Sanballat, he was probably the governor of Samaria. He was possibly in charge of Jerusalem before Nehemiah came back. So he had his nose pushed out. He was threatened. Tobiah is Sanballat's assistant. And Geshem, who was an Arab, it says of him that he was probably kind of disturbed by the shift of power that was happening with these guys coming back on the scene. So all these guys were people whose nose was put out and who started to oppose what these guys were doing for God. And some of the ways that opposition comes, and this is true, not only if you're building a building, this is true in our own lives. If you set out to try and build a life for God, or a family, or a business, or a church, or anything, you will face this kind of opposition. There will be people who will be angry. Look at verse 1, chapter 4. When Sambalat heard we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. And I've realized the longer that I've been a Christian and a Christian leader, that not every Christian will be excited when you want to do something for God. I know that's a radical, shattered your world this morning, but that's the truth. And you can find anger, not just out there, but even amongst other Christians when you're trying to step out for God. That anger then became ridicule. Look at what this says. Um, He ridiculed the Jews and it moved on to be criticism. And in the presence of his associates, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah, who was at the side, said, what are they building? If even a fox climbed on it, he would break down their wall of stones. And you can see the kind of ridicule and the criticism and the undermining that's going on. And the interesting thing is about this, is that often Sanballat and Tobiah are kind of likened to the devil, the enemy, you know, in the sense that, and this is how he works, is that he puts in these kind of thoughts into our mind. Nobody's going to pitch up. Nobody's going to do anything. Even if you do do it, a fox can knock it down. Here's the interesting thing is, archaeologists reckon that the walls that Nehemiah built were nine feet thick. Now, I don't know a lot about the power of a fox, but I do reckon that a nine feet thick wall and a fox... And this is, isn't this like life? That often things, and you think, wow, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for God, and, and nobody's going to help, and, and it's going to collapse, and it's going to fall. And actually, sometimes that's not based in reality, but it's based in our fears. And it's based in the way that the enemy exploits it. The criticism then became an all-out fight in verse 8, where it says they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble. But you know, when you're trying to do anything for God... The opposition isn't just external, sometimes it's internal. Sometimes it's within the community of faith, other believers, and sometimes it's in you. It's in you as a believer. I have come to the conclusion, as a Christian leader, that I will never please everyone all of the time. It's taken me a long time to come to that conclusion. (laughs) Not really. And I I think we all know that. And the reality is that as Nehemiah and Ezra called the people of God to build something for the glory of God and for the fame of God, uh, not everybody was happy. 
And actually, in, in Ezra, you can read it in Ezra, and this is a fantastic verse. In Ezra chapter 3, if you want to go back there, it says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple, so they're rebuilding a new temple, the priests with the trumpets and the Levites, they all took their place. They began to praise God. They began to say, He is worthy, you know, just like we've sung this morning. And it says, And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. So all the people were shouting because of the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who'd seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. Listen to this. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sounds of weeping. Isn't it amazing that all these people are saying, God's great, this is fantastic, look what we're building for God. But yet there were a whole load of other people who were weeping and shouting, not, not for joy, but out of frustration and out of all this stuff. And I know that there will be people in this church who will not be shouting for joy because we're trying to build a new building. I understand that. I want to ask you, I want to ask you to go to God. To go to God. You see, it's from history, history shows us that often in revivals, the people who are part of a revival become the opposition to the next revival. Do you know that? Often the people who were the vanguard then become the old guard. And some of the very people who laid this foundation for the one temple now become those who get upset about the foundation of another one. And there's something in the human psyche that sometimes says that if we've had a bad experience or if we've been through a building campaign before and it hasn't gone well and we've been hurt, then we can shut down and we can cut away. And I understand that totally. But I want to ask you to prayerfully consider going to God about this and being open before God. And because something didn't work out well in the past does not mean automatically that it will work out badly in the future. If that was the case, we wouldn't do anything. Failure has to be part of who we are. Do you know that? If we're not failing, we're certainly not succeeding. And we have to be open to failure as well as open to success. Otherwise, we'll never do anything. And some of the opposition uh, built in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 5, and, and, the, and the, the people, the community of faith, they split into different factions. Some of them were what I call the this is too hard group in chapter 5 verse 2. It says, some are saying, we and our sons and daughters are numerous. You know, you're asking us to sacrifice Nehemiah. Look at all these mouths in our family to feed. We're too numerous. Some others were saying, and the cost is too high. Verse 3. You know, we're mortgaging our fields, our vineyards. You know, you're asking too much. The cost is too high. Some were saying this isn't fair. In uh, verse 5, some were saying, look at our sons compared to their sons. And they were comparing each other and saying, it's not fair what you're asking of us. And they began to get all fractious and all divisive. And can I just say, it's why when we're going through times like this as a church, it's why prayer, ministry and worship are so important. And on Tuesday night, we have our encounter meeting. And I want to encourage you to come. I'm away this week at a conference, but Jane will be speaking and people will be leading worship and there'll be opportunity for prayer and ministry. So important when we're going through a big time as a church. It's a history-making season for us that we give time and space for the Holy Spirit, yeah? To pray for each other and with each other and to stand with each other. In fact, I got so excited about it, about the whole community thing, I wrote life group notes that you don't need because there aren't any this week. But hey-ho, if you want to read them, there, I know there, you don't need them because there aren't any life group notes, but I forgot and I wrote you some notes. Because actually coming together through seasons like this is so, so important that we don't get divisive. 
Now, I want to just talk briefly about what is the effect of opposition. In your own life, when you're trying to do something for God and you get opposition, or as a family, and your family gets opposition, or as a community, as a church, you get opposition, what are some of the effects? Well, in your notes, there's three Ds, but in the nine o'clock service during the worship, I kind of felt God gave me another one, all right? So it's not in the notes. But the first one is discouragement. Chapter 4, verse 10. This is a powerful verse. It says, Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble, we cannot rebuild the wall. They got discouraged with the size of the task. And that verb there, giving out, literally means to stumble or to totter. It's the idea of you're like carrying loads of stuff and you're so weighed that you're going to stumble and fall over. And when you get discouraged, you kind of want to stop because you can't go on any further. It's one of the effects of opposition. Another effect is division. Saw that in chapter 5. Every time a church steps out in faith to do something significant for God, the threat to unity is immense. It's immense. Because the devil knows one of the main ways that he can stop the onward progression of the church of Christ is to bring disunity. Because while we're fighting each other, we're not fighting the real enemy. While we're at odds with each other, we haven't got the energy to make a difference in our community. While we're arguing about silly things, crucial things, life and death things, lives are going on without our impact and our influence. So the enemy knows Division is one of his key tools. We have to guard against that. One of the other D's that can happen is delays. The work can stop. And you read in Ezra and Nehemiah very often, probably look at it a little bit more next week, there are times when the work stopped. They just delayed. And there have been times in the last five years for us as a church when our building work has stopped. And we've had delays and we have had opposition. And we've had times when we've had to park it and go back to God. And that's part of the process. And you know what? In your own life, there can be delays in your spiritual growth as well. I want to share a story with you a little later about um, last week I went to Bulgaria for a week. And, and this, I want to share another story with you. But one of the things that impacted me when I went this time, I went to do a wedding. My first cross-cultural wedding, which is an interesting experience. Um, and also to, to be involved in a, in, a, in a meeting with some leaders. And then I had a couple of days off because we hadn't had a holiday over the summer. So I had a couple of days off. And, and and one of the days, I was walking through the town with some friends, and I saw a guy who was my oldest friend in Bulgaria, who I've known for 18, 19 years, who I haven't seen for about five or six years. And he, I know that over the last few years, he's been drifting away. Uh, he stopped coming to church, and I knew, I'd heard that he had problems in his marriage, etc. And I just lost contact with him, and I met him. And I just went up and said hi, and he was a bit shocked to see me. And, 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 and I saw him, and he introduced his new wife to me. And I was—I went away from that and I was so, so heavy hearted and, and down and upset. Because I thought, I knew when you were really running with God, you and your wife, your first wife. And now I meet you and you're not with God and you've got divorced and you've got remarried and I understand all of that. But the issue is you're not running with God now. And it broke my heart. And uh, Paul says in Galatians, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? Who cut in on you? And I want to say, do you know what? That just shows to me, it's possible for any one of us to be delayed, isn't it? For us to stop running that race, for the work of God in us to stop. When we get discouraged, when we get despairing, when we, allow, when we get distracted, we looked at it last week, when we allow sin to come in our life, when we don't deal with the junk and the emotional baggage that we all pick up, when we don't do that, it's possible for any of us to stop and to get delayed. But you know what, one of the, the fourth D that I thought God gave me this morning was, was the word discovery. 
Because actually in our times of opposition, where we are under pressure could be the time when we discover the most about ourselves, about God and about his purposes. And yesterday I was um, leading worship with some of the guys in the church at uh, an, an event. And one of the, the people that was speaking there was a business guy. Uh, whoops. Okay. was a business guy. And um, he kind of showed this kind of business idea really, which actually really challenged me and spoke to me. And while we were worshiping this morning, kind of thought about it again. And he basically said that when you have an idea to make some change or to do something significant in any organization, it goes through a various amount of kind of processes. You get the first phase, the second phase, and the third phase. And basically what he said is that this phase here, there's a lot of hope. Because you've got this idea that you're going to do something, whether it be in a business or a church or whatever, and it's all starting to lift. And then very soon, actually, that idea kind of starts to drop down when you realize the difficulty or the implications or the opposition, and it all starts to drop right down. And then eventually it will build back up and you get to a stage which he called confidence. Now, this is what he said, that most people in their lives want to go from here to here. Who doesn't? So hope, something's going to happen. Confidence, it's happening. He says, actually, this is a crucial stage. And this is what he called it, which is so engaged me. He called this the valley of discovery. Because often this is where many people kind of fall and kind of get lost and get, oh, it's not going to work. But actually, if we're open to God, the valley of discovery could be the place where we receive the most. And where we actually understand things. And that allows us to rise up again to a place of confidence. I don't like it because I'd rather go from there to there. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? And I'd kind of call that more hell. But the valley of discovery is okay as well. You know, it's where everything drops down and you think this isn't going to work. And we've been there with the building and I'm sure that there will be other times when we will be again. But I tell you what, if the fear of not wanting to go there, if we don't conquer that, we'll never move. We'll never see any change. We'll never see our community one for Christ. We will never see the things that we read about in the Bible coming to pass. You know, the Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 3, I've heard of your fame, O Lord. Heard of your deeds. Renew them in our day. And listen, if you are not prepared to to, to battle opposition and difficulty and discouragement, you'll never see the works of God again. Because they don't come cheaply. They come at a cost. We have to be able to battle through opposition. And just briefly, I want to just talk to you, if I can, to church members here. Okay, People of the church who are praying right now to stand with us in this capital campaign. On November the 15th, we're encouraging you to come and to bring gifts and pledges over the next two years financially to sacrifice for the building and for the vision that God has given us. I want to speak to you just for a moment. You know, some people will say it's too hard. How would I respond to that? Well, in the natural, it is. But we don't live just in the natural, do we? We're connected to a supernatural God. And the Bible says that nothing is impossible for him. And some of us might say, well, the price is too high. You're asking for too much sacrifice. You know, why should we sacrifice? What about our kids? What about our future? What about this? What about that? I understand all of that. And when I was away in Bulgaria, um, I think you all know that when you're working hard and when you stop working and you, you know, you just, it can be horrible at times, can't it? And, and as I stopped and I spent a couple of days on my own, I am being honest with you. I'm trying to be honest with you all the time. I had a whole load of thoughts rush into my head which weren't good. And in fact, lots of them were very negative and really pulled me down. And there were words like, in fact, I wasn't even reading it. There were words like, I'll read it from the Bible. 
What are you feeble people trying to do? You reckon you're going to build this building? Will the people actually offer sacrifice? Will you actually finish it? Even if you do, a little fox would break. It was that kind of stuff. Had all this thought, and I had this idea in my mind that we spent all this time, and I'm doing all these home meetings. Many of you've been a part of that. Got two left. We've done fifth. I've done 15 home meetings. It's been fantastic to eat chili 15 times. Loved it. No more chili. All right. It's been great in community together, getting to know each other. You know, to talk, to share, and to to talk. It's been brilliant. And then the thought went through my mind. We do all that. And preach our hearts out. We do all that we can. Then on November the 15th, we have this great offering and we raise £250. And I'm like, what am I going to preach the next week? And I'm on my own in a hotel room in Bulgaria. All these thoughts were coming. And I said, it was not a nice place to be. It's not a nice place to be. And then on one of the nights, I went out for a meal with some friends of mine. And at the end of the meal, one of the fellas, I've known for a long time, he came and, and just as I was going out of the door of his apartment, he gave me an envelope. And he said, he said, for years you've been coming and investing in us. And you've invested in me. And he says, and your church has invested in the young people of this nation for years. He says, and I want to invest in what you're doing. He says, and I know you're doing a building thing and I know it's called The Third Place and I've seen the website. And I want to invest. And he gave me an envelope. And I walked out of that one bedroom apartment. One bedroom apartment, which was his home. And I took it back to the hotel and I thought, it's going to be a few lev, which is Bulgarian money. All right? And I opened it up and it was a thousand English pounds. 50 pound notes. And I looked at it and I just wept. And I thought, you see, not only because I know that that was incredibly sacrificial, but I also know that the average monthly salary in Bulgaria is 250 pounds. So he gave me four months of an average salary. Because God had touched him through the ministry of this church. And I want to say, and I want to look at you. And I want to say, if God has touched you through the ministry of this church, you can sacrifice. If a guy 3,000 miles ago in Bulgaria, in a one-bedroom flat, can do it, I can do it. And so can you. And when we allow the Spirit to touch us, and actually to get at some of those issues that are most important to us, which is often around the area of money and materialism and all that stuff, when we allow that to not be a hold on us any longer, God can do some amazing things. I'm utterly convinced. Not about the level of money. If we all sacrifice at the same level, we'll give different amounts of money, but if we all sacrifice at the same kind of level, God will do amazing things amongst us. I'll tell you what, it won't be about building a building. That'll be small fry compared to what God is going to do through a group of people who are radically sold out to him. And you know the story of the widow's might is that the rich man puts a lot of money in and the widow puts a little amount of money in. But actually, that's the one that's commended because that was the sacrificial gift. is isn't about the size of the money. It's about the level of the sacrifice. For some of us, sacrifice is going to be hundreds of pounds. For some of us, it's going to be thousands or tens of thousands. But if we respond to God at that level of sacrifice, God will do amazing things amongst us. What is our response to opposition? When things are tough, what do we do? Let me just rattle through these. Firstly, we keep on praying. You know, I often think, why pray when you can panic? But that's not a good philosophy, <laughs> to be fair. Um, praying is a much better response than panicking. And in Nehemiah chapter 4, 
you know, he gets all this criticism and then he just goes, hear us, O God, for we are despised. And then he begins to pour out his heart. You know, we need to pray because we have to keep reminding ourselves that Jesus said, I will build my church. We're joining in with him. He's not joining in with us. Do you understand? And so actually Jesus wants the church to be built in this place that is radical and passionate and involved with the community and changing the, changing the world. He wants it more than we do. We're joining him. He's not joining us. And through prayer we keep reminding ourselves and we allow God to speak and we say we are dependent on you. But as well as keep on praying, we keep on working. In verse 6, it says, So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people work with all their heart. We don't build anything for God with prayer alone. It's prayer and work. Together. We keep on encouraging. I love verse 14 when Nehemiah does his William Wallace Braveheart speech. He, he, he notices the, the, the discouragement around and he says, After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. It's a great speech. It's that calling the best out of people, encouraging people. And we need to be a place that encourage one another. And you know, encourage is spelled E-N courage. It could be spelled I-N courage because it's about putting courage in people, isn't it? And I want you to know, this is an incredibly vulnerable time for us as a leadership. Incredibly vulnerable. And I'm not asking, saying that because I want you to feel sorry for us, okay? I'm saying that because we're a body. We're a body. And just as you go through vulnerable times, we want to try and be there for you. We have to say this is a vulnerable time for us as well. And actually as a body, I want to ask you, let's encourage one another. Let's walk a little slower past each other and try and speak encouragement into each other. I know many of you are facing difficult times right now in your own life, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your business. We need to be a people, a body who encourage and breathe life into one another. Amen? And you know, as we kind of come towards communion, you know, he says here, you know, don't be afraid of them. Fight, isn't it? Fight. For you. you know, some things are worth fighting for. Did you know that? Can I say, some things aren't. Music in church is not something worth fighting over. The colour of the chairs is not worth fighting over. The style of the preaching is not worth fighting over. The times of the services, the length, they're not worth fighting over, guys. What is worth fighting over is our faith. The Bible says in the book of Jude, don't turn to it, you'll never find it before I find it. It says, it says, that, it says you've got to contend for the faith. It says there are, there are people coming in with all kinds of heresies and they're trying to, to try and discourage you and divert you. You've got to contend. The faith, our purity of faith is worth fighting over. Our families are worth fighting over, aren't they? And, and you know what, not just, you know, and it may be that you're saying, you know, if I'm going to sacrifice financially, my kids will suffer. I understand that thought. But I have to say, our kids are worth fighting over and actually sacrifice and teaching them about what it is and encouraging them to also be a part of that journey is something worth fighting for. You're investing far more into them at this stage than ever your money can. And we have to think about that. We have to think about the future. There's a lot at stake for them. And I have to say, actually, our kids are going to be the ones that are going to benefit most, possibly, by what we do today, what we do in the next few weeks. But you know what? Not just our families are worth fighting over. Other families are worth fighting over, aren't they? 
You know, I hope we never become a church that says, you know what, as long as me and my family are cared for, then that's okay. I hope we never get to that stage. Because I tell you what, there are kids by their scores out there and families out there who need the church. Who need the church. And I have to tell you, as we've been, we've been working on this funding bid, many of you know about it, and, um, and we, put it, we sent it in on Wednesday, and uh, it's about, it was, oh, it was months of work, and it had to be handed in by 5 o'clock on Wednesday, and at 3 o'clock we were still writing it. There were eight of us involved, and it was just incredibly traumatic and stressful. And then we bundled it all together, and we, me and Liz got in a car, and we had to deliver it to Birmingham. We got 10 minutes away from here. Tom called up and says, you've left something on the desk. So we had to come back, reseal it, blah, 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 get it in. And we handed it in at 5 past 4. And now we're waiting to see whether we're going to get it or not. And a lot of that funding is around youth provision. And I know some of you might be thinking, we only ever hear about youth and kids in this church. Listen, listen, the building we're talking about building is for everybody. It's for youth and kids and adults and old folks. It's for black and white. It's for rich and poor. It's for everyone. But the funding that we're working on right now is only for youth facilities. So we have to present that. And I have to say, actually, it's always been a value of this church to invest heavily into youth and young and kids, isn't it? It's so important. And it's not that everybody else is not important, but we have to choose sometimes where a heavy investment's going to go. We're not exclusive to that. We want to care for older folks. We want to care for middle-aged folks and everything. But we have sometimes to say, do you know what? Our kids and our teenagers, we have to win that battle somewhere. And as we've sat in meetings over the last few weeks, and as I have and others, you know, with, with the police and with the youth offending team, with teenage pregnancy and with the healthcare service and with education, there's been such an overwhelming positive response to what we want to do. And you know, there are hundreds and thousands of kids in our communities around us who desperately need the church to connect with them in a relevant way. And it's worth fighting for that, for our families and for our faith and finally for our future. You see, you might think, some of you elderly folks might think, well, it's going to be two years, five years, it's going to be years before this build. I might not even see it. No, you might not. But the future is in our hands. You know, I did have this thought a couple of, a couple of few months ago. I thought, when I realised how much money we were talking about and how big this was going to be and how demanding it was going to be, I thought, you know what? I'll let someone else do it. You know, I could coast it out here. This is a great church. It's already a big building and all that stuff. And I could just coast this out, move somewhere else. Somewhere, somebody has to stop and say, do you know what? We're going to be the people that will take responsibility for the future. We may not even see it, but somebody has to do it. And for the sake of our kids in the future, we're going to do it. Yesterday, um, as I was sitting in one of these sessions, I heard a guy who is the, is, um, is the president, uh, the leader of Compassion International. Anyone heard of Compassion? The K- Compassion Kids. Many of you will sponsor kids. And I've never heard him before, and he's been doing that for about 30 years. He's probably in his 60s, I would think. And he told a story, and he, the story was his story. And he says, you know what, I've only just started to tell this story. Of my own life. He says, God and others have told me that I have to tell this story. And so he stood on a platform like this and, and he was telling his story. And his story was how God had called him into doing, giving his life for this cause, for looking after kids in poverty and to being a voice for the voiceless. And he says, it, it all began when, as a kid, he went to Africa as a missionary kid. His parents were missionaries. And he says, and and what happened in the day when he went, which was years ago, decades ago, is that all the kids would be sent to boarding school in Africa 
And they'd spend nine months out of the year in a boarding school. And it was run by Christians, but the people who were running it were people who'd failed on the mission field. And so they said, well, if you fail, we'll give you the lowest job, which is looking after the kids. And so, so nine months we spent in this thing. And then he said, and he began to talk, and he got so emotional. It was unbelievable. He began to talk about the abuse that he'd suffered in this school. Physical abuse. He was beaten on average 17 times a week. He said, I could tell you every single kid by the sound of their cries. And he said, and where God got a hold of me was I was 10. And he says, and they got the 50 kids in the room. And the guy got me and he says, and I'm going to make an example out of you, Wes. And he got me to stand on a chair. And he got a candle. And he said, I had to hold a candle in my finger. And there was wicks both ends. And then the man lit both ends of the candle and he had to hold the candle. And the man said, you see, you can either serve God or the devil. I don't know what theology he was going from there to do that. But he's basically trying to make some kind of point. And he got the kid, this little 10-year-old kid, to hold the candle. And you know what? This was the amazing thing was. I mean, talk about being in, in, in a depth. Do you know what I mean? Talk about having opposition. Talk about being on a road marked with suffering. You think, how would a kid like that turn out? You know? Gone to a Christian school being abused, you know, all that kind of stuff, holding a candle. And this is what happened. He said, as I was holding it, there was a rage that built up inside me. And it was like, I thought, I am not going to drop this candle. And he held the candle until his fingers burnt and blistered as a 10-year-old boy. He says, at that moment, God said, you're going to give your life to being a voice for the voiceless. (laughs) Unbelievable. And he has now heads up compassion, which feed thousands and thousands of kids all across the world and give them a hope and a future. But he had to hold a candle. He had to allow himself to get burnt. He had to almost like go through that in order to find the real call of God on his life. And I want to say to you, as we come up to communion right now, if you're going through opposition, if you're going through difficulty as a believer, please know you're not on your own. You're not on your own. And as a church, if we go through that, we have to stick together and we have to hold the candle long enough for God to do what he wants to do in us and through us.